Good morning, everyone. So wonderful to see every single one of you. And wow, we just went straight past spring into summer, right? And so, um, hey, maybe one day you'll see my knees on the stage. Who knows? Anyway, uh, maybe next week. But uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen, and I'm privileged to lead here in this wonderful church with this, these wonderful teams. And we are so excited about all that God is doing at the moment. But I want to start off today's message by telling you a story that has become a bit of an in-house family joke, especially between Bianca and I. You see, our first home was a very typical first home, little flatlet, like 70-odd square meters, and, uh, but it was our own little place. It was our wonderful home, and it came to our very first Christmas where we were hosting the family at our place. Many of you know that I love to cook, and so I was going to take this opportunity very seriously. And so on the menu for the day was roast lamb and roast potatoes. And so there it was going in the oven, and at some point I excused myself just to go and see how things were going. I pulled the tray out, and I don't know what happened, but the lamb and the potatoes fell all over the kitchen floor. Now, the way some of you are wired is that you would just burst out laughing. And I'm jealous of those kinds of personalities because when I take something seriously, I tend to keep my serious face on. Needless to say, I wasn't bursting out into laughter. So I'm in a bit of a frenzy. And so Bianca decided to wisely calm me down with the following words. Relax, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> to which I responded, well, it's pretty darn close. <laughs> now, the reason why I tell this story is because we are doing this series called Anxious for Nothing. And I truly want to encourage you that this series is like a puzzle that each sermon gets built together. We've been hearing God's wisdom, hearing God's word. It is very practical. There are very tangible ways that you and I can trust God practically with our anxiety, even if your lamb and roast potatoes fall all over the floor. All right, and we did manage to recover most of it on that day. Now, I still maybe maintain that that's worth getting upset about. <laughs> But maybe also a sermon like today is going to give us some real practical wisdom and maybe challenge some things on my heart with regards to my anxieties. Now, we've been looking at a number of very important passages when it comes to managing our anxiety and trusting our hearts with God and trusting His way. Today is a passage we have left right to the end. It's a very well-known passage to many of us, but I'm going to ask that if you have your Bibles here, that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And what we're going to do, we're going to read through it in one go, kind of get the bird's eye view of the, of the passage, and then just walk through it step by step. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Jesus is preaching to the crowds. This is in the middle of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that changed history. And this is what Jesus says. Just before we read, I want you to keep in mind that the crowd that Jesus is reading to were not your middle class, upper class crowd. These were people who, for the most part, were living hand to mouth, as some of us are. 
And yet this is the wisdom that Jesus has for us. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And just as we continue to read, I want you to notice how many questions Jesus is asking. He's getting us to pause and think and respond, which is going to highlight where our hearts are at so that we can respond to his wisdom. Let's read on from verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here to, today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look how in the first half of this passage, Jesus confronts many of the things that are needlessly causing us anxiety. And so we need to realize from the outset that what God wants for you, what God wants for you is a life with greater freedom and greater trust a shift in our hearts, which is going to lead to less anxiety. God truly wants less anxiety in your lives. And so this passage, especially the first half, is going to show us why worry is a waste. Why worry is a waste of time. It is a waste of energy. It is a waste of my mental real estate. And so right at the beginning... We see this in verse 25 where he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. So, is anyone here worried about what you're going to eat or drink? <laughs> What's for lunch, Anik? Now, I used that story at the beginning to kind of highlight my very first world experience of that because some of us have first world anxiety about what we're going to eat or drink. Oh my word, am I going to eat the 500 gram ribeye steak or the lobster? Oh, what am I going to do? Now, maybe some of us are there. Some of us in this room do not know what we're going to eat for the rest of this week. Let us also think about our bodies. Now, once again, some of us, and I say this lightly and seriously at the same time, some of us are literally worrying ourselves to death in our efforts to look like Kim Kardashian or Jason Momoa or whoever your archetype of feminine and masculinity is. And yet others of us are also dealing with some real challenges with regards to our health and our bodies. 
the things that used to work in our 20s and 30s aren't working in our 40s and our 50s and ongoing. Some of us are dealing with some real health concerns and yes, are causing us anxiety in our lives. And then finally, when it comes to what we will wear, and I'm not judging anybody, I'm not going to look at anybody, but some of us open a cupboard that is packed top to bottom, left to right, and we say those famous words, I've got nothing to wear. But then there is the very real anxiety that some of us open an empty cupboard and we don't know what our kids are going to wear to school this week. So when it comes to what we eat, when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to what we wear, regardless of where you fall on some of these spectrums, we have anxiety about these areas. And so the first thing Jesus tries to do is to give us some perspective. And so he follows up with these words. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Now I know Jesus is maybe sounding like a well-meaning dad who says, well, at least be grateful you're alive. But before you brush that off, let's just stop and think about that. Science has been able to do some amazing things. I'm sure some of you have seen some of these incredible images from the James Webb Telescope. And when it comes to life, what science can do is you can stick some probes in a frog's leg and it can kick. And if science has the perfect environment with the right molecules, it may even be able to create some amino acids and some proteins, the building blocks of life. But one thing science cannot do, one question science cannot answer is, but what is life? We can animate something artificially. We can create something in a lab, but we cannot create life. And so I don't say this lightly. You know, we often talk about the miracle of life, but truly, the fact that you and I are here today and we're breathing, our minds are working and our bodies are functioning is a true miracle for which every single one of us ought to be incredibly grateful to God for and it ought to blow our minds. And so Jesus continues, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in bonds or invest in cryptocurrency and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle in the States, I love what he says about this verse when he talks about the difference between worry and concern. Worry and concern. Because he highlights that Jesus not only says, do not worry, he also shows us how we are to proceed in these moments. So he says, think about the birds. Now, when Tweety Bird is sitting on the tree and he's hungry, does a berry sort of just magically come into his mouth? No, he's hungry and he goes and finds our, tree, our mulberry tree at the moment. He's starting to form some mulberry, so it attracts the birds. And so Tweety Bird needs to go and find the mulberry 
If the eagle is hungry, the eagle is going to go and hunt down Tweety Bird, right? It does something, but here's the difference between worry and concern. Concern focuses on challenges and moves you to action. The birds are concerned. I'm hungry. I'm going to do something about it. My marriage is in trouble. I'm going to do something about it because I am legitimately concerned. Worry, though, worry focuses on what is not in our control and results in inaction. And so this is why Jesus says in verse 27, now listen, some of you say, but you know, I've got investments going pay, or I need to plan for the future. Are you telling me I don't need to plan? Of course, from a healthy place of concern, yes, let's respond wisely to our circumstances. But Jesus says in verse 27, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And we all know what the answer to that question is. I read that somebody said that um, worrying means that you suffer twice. Think about it. I'm worried about the meeting tomorrow, and so as I worry about the meeting, I'm suffering. Then I go to the hard meeting and I suffer then, and so I'm suffering twice. Concern would mean I've got a meeting. How can I prepare for the meeting? How can I pray for the meeting? But how many times has this happened? We're worried about the meeting, and out of the thousands of ways that meeting can go, we're worried about the two or three worst case scenarios. Then we get to the meeting and we discover we suffered needlessly because everything went okay. And so worrying is unnecessary, as it's causing us needless anxiety in our lives. It does not help. Jesus makes the same argument from verse 28. And so why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you they're not even Solomon. In all his splendor, with all his wealth, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now I know we've kind of already touched on what we wear, but Jesus raises this again, and so I'm going to raise this again and spend a little bit more time on this. If what is causing you anxiety is the very real scenario that you don't know what your kids are going to wear this week, that is exactly why we are doing Restore. And as soon as that ministry is up and running, we will be able to be the answer to your prayer because of the generosity of Riversiders. And so please, we want to be there for you if that is your anxiety. And let me tell you, these are not just holes, uh, uh, holy socks and you know, holy underpants. I've bought clothes from Restore because they are great quality. But if you're worrying because out of the 10 pairs of jeans you have, you don't know which one is going to go well on Instagram tonight, 
at some stage, we are moving from a healthy desire to look good for healthy reasons. So what is a healthy desire to look good for healthy reasons? Well, let's start at the lowest common denominator yet, and that is number one, just to be clean. All right, teenage boys, number one, ju- just be clean, have a shower, great starting point. Number two, just to look clean, cover up all the right places, yeah? And maybe even to have your husband or your wife look at you and go, how are you doing? (laughs) There are some healthy reasons to look good. But at some point we move from there to an unhealthy desire to look good for unhealthy reasons. Where some of the reasons I am anxious about which of my 10 pairs of jeans I'm going to wear tonight have nothing to do with the healthy reasons, but has everything to do with maybe I've made a God thing out of this good thing. Maybe I'm looking to my appearance and my clothes to give me what God should be giving me through other healthier God-given channels. For example, there is nothing wrong with a well-timed, effective compliment. Steve, that shirt looks great on you. And if you receive a compliment like that, we receive it healthily and graciously. But when we are in an unhealthy place, That compliment is like gummy berry juice to us. If you're under 35, ask your parents what gummy berry juice is. And if we don't get the compliment, it's like someone is cutting off our air supply. And you can look like Kim Kardashian, but inside you feel unlovely, unworthy, unloved. You have no value. And so this is about our hearts here. Now listen, we've just been through a series on identity. And maybe some of us here in this room need to do a second time over, a third time over when it comes to this because our identity is now being caught up either in some of these things, in our food, what we wear, in our bodies. Once again, I'm hoping that you're seeing what God wants for you is to have less anxiety in your lives. And so if this is what God wants for you, why is it that we carry on becoming anxious about things that are of lesser value in this world? Now notice, Jesus is not saying, don't wear nice clothes if you're able to. He's saying, watch your heart. And this is why, even though God desires a less anxious life for you, this is why we are so reluctant to let go because I've got my precious and I look to my precious to give me affirmation. Unfortunately, our precious has always let us down. And so some of us have some self-evaluation that is in order for us. But let's continue. Jesus says, so 
Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? We've covered those. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. For so many people, being a Christian means do not swear, or at least try not to swear. Do not drink too much, or at least try not to drink too much. Go to church as often as you can or as often as I feel like it. And maybe give something to the church. And okay, that pretty much sums up Christianity for many of us. Now, Christianity is so much more than that. But one of the things that Jesus is trying to get us to believe is that we as Christians should be freed from some of the anxieties that plague those who don't know Christ in this way because he wants a less anxious life for you. And so he says, these things, clothes and food and our body, fine, be healthy. Live, you know, meet your needs. But the pagans run after these things. And so something about our devotion to Jesus should shift our hearts to such, such a degree that my heart is not chasing after these things. And according to even only these verses, I know a couple of things. I know according to this verse that I've got a father, which first and foremost, going back to our identity series, it is my Father who loves me. It is my Father in heaven who affirms me. It is my Father in heaven who catches me graciously when I fall and fail. It is my Father in heaven who names me and calls me out. And so I've got this Father, a perfect Father in heaven. This Father knows what I need. This Father says I am more valuable than any of these things. And so if I am able to truly believe God at His Word, that is where my value is found. That is where my identity is found. And therefore, in decreasing degrees, these things have no power over my heart. So now Jesus has spoken about some of the things that needlessly create anxiety in our lives, but now He shifts. And He says, but... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, I know when we hear this verse, if you've grown up in church, you've probably had to memorize this verse at some point in time, or you've sung a song about this verse. And so often I think a bit of a caricature gets created in our imaginations with regards to what it means to put God's kingdom first. And for some of us, it feels like, oh, if I'm going to live this verse out, it means I must go to church twice on a Sunday. I must join three different life groups. I need to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and read the Bible and pray. And then when the kids go to bed, I'm going to read the Bible and pray. And so what happens is we have a false view of what it means to put God's kingdom first. I still have all these other anxieties in my life. Then someone like Pastor Steve stands up, talks about putting God's kingdom first, and it feels like another burden on top of all my other burdens. 
Would you believe me if I told you that when Jesus says that we are to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, he is not trying to add to your anxiety. He is trying to take your anxiety from you. By shifting these things that occupy these places that only he should occupy in our hearts. He's wanting to free us from the concerns that are literally worrying ourselves to death. He wants to replace our concern for these things with a concern for his kingdom. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, once again, my source of love and affirmation and identity. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That line comes before, give us this day our daily bread. And so Jesus is trying to say, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus wants us to lay down our anxieties? The good things we've made God things. Let them go. Even if it means prying them out of our fingers. Taking hold of God's kingdom. And do we truly trust that if I put God's kingdom first, and what I mean by that, quite briefly, is this. What does life look like if Jesus is king? Now, we know he is king, but we don't always reflect that. So what does my work-like life look like if Jesus is king? And it's so much more than not stealing or, you know, being honest with your taxes. What does my work-like look like? Look, blah, 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 Look like, work life look like, should have thought about that. If Jesus is king, what does my private thought life look like if Jesus is king? What does my heart look like? The, thing, the things that occupy my heart's desires, what does that look like if Jesus is king? And so what if Jesus was saying, if you put my kingdom first, not only will I take care of your needs, but you'll be freed from so much of this anxiety. So here's a big one. Verse 34, and we're getting there. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, why do we worry about tomorrow? Well, the main reason is because we haven't been there yet. We don't know what's going to happen. So I love some of the wisdom in this verse. It says already here, each day has enough trouble on its own. Now, doesn't mean we're going to worry about today. It means, yes, we're going to be concerned about today. We're going to recognize what is out of my control. And we're going to do something about the things that are in my control but I'm not gonna worry about tomorrow. So there's some practical wisdom for us. But probably the main reason why we don't have to worry about tomorrow is because while you don't know what's gonna to happen tomorrow, our Father in heaven does. 
and he is there. When you get there, he will be there. He will be with you. You don't know how that meeting is going to work out, but God does, and he's there. You don't know how this relationship is going to unfold, but God does, and he is there. Recently, I heard about what stage 15 load shedding or stage 18 load shedding. But man, that's a scary thought if ever we've had one. But nothing takes our God by surprise. I've started praying like this when I remember, because I don't always, if ever I start feeling anxious about a thought that is lodged in my mind or a, a meeting or a conversation that needs to happen, I pray exactly this. Lord, it's not like I'm with you here and then I'm stepping out on my own over there. You're there. Your spirit is there. You know what's going to happen in that meeting. And so I'm going to trust you with my tomorrow. I think one of the thoughts and responses that maybe confuses us here is, if we're honest, we say, well, if tomorrow turns out okay, that means Jesus is on the throne. But if tomorrow's a nightmare, hmm. If the meeting turns out well, well, amen, praise the Lord, God is in control. But if the meeting goes bad, well, Jesus must have been in control of somebody else's life, somebody else's meeting. Listen, either Jesus is Lord or he's not. Either he is Lord over chaos and goodness or he is not. Either he is Lord over sin and death and chaos or he is not. And so we need to learn to trust the lordship of Jesus, the presence of his ministry and his power in the moments of goodness and in the moments of chaos. And none of that means that he is no longer Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I used an image, which I'm gonna repeat maybe just to help you. It helped me. When it comes to the fact that we live in a world where we make poor choices, other people make poor choices and hurts us. We live in a broken and a fallen world. We have an enemy who comes up against us. And so, yes, we are regularly encountering suffering and challenges in our lives. And so the little image that helped me was kind of the image of playing chess against the world's best computer. Doesn't matter what moves you bring, you always lose. Doesn't matter what evil comes against God's plans. Doesn't matter what errors in judgment happen. It doesn't matter how in your life you may be experiencing some chaos that will never foil God's plan. Here's another one, and I wanna leave these with you because they've helped me. Maybe you've heard the idea of a tapestry. If you've ever looked on the underside of one of these carpets or one of these tapestries, it looks like absolute chaos. And from our perspective, when we're going through life and our ups and our downs, we are looking at this side of the tapestry. But God is the one who is seeing how all of this comes together. Here's one more for you. Think about a big cruise ship 
And just think about this cruise ship and nothing is going to deter this cruise ship from getting to its destination. Now we're all on the cruise ship. Imagine you wake up and you have a little, you know, a little fight, a little argument as a married couple and you feel like, oh, things are out of control. Is that going to change the destination of the cruise ship? Okay, let's say a fire breaks out in the canteen. Is that going to change the destination of the cruise ship? No. Listen, if Jesus is truly king, and if as he has demonstrated on the cross that he is sovereign over evil and sin and pain and death, that means that the destination will be reached. And no sin and no pain and no chaos will ever deter and thwart God's purposes in our lives. And God's purposes in history, the way He molds events, the way He is moving the ship forward is to serve a purpose that is greater than any one person, any one generation, any one nation. But he's going to make sure it gets there. And this is why I want to end off with one final big thought for us. And that is that maybe I'm worried about tomorrow, but God promises a greater tomorrow. The greater tomorrow will come. The king will return. The destination will be reached. The chess game will be won. We will see the tapestry for what it truly is and how God used every single detail of, his, of our lives, including those details that we thought were evil for His good and for His plans. It's kind of like watching the movie The Sixth Sense. Because once you've seen the ending, you can't unsee the ending. And once you've watched the ending of The Sixth Sense, it forces you to go back and reinterpret the entire movie in light of the ending. And so because we know that a greater tomorrow is coming, we can't unsee that. And so that can force us to reinterpret all of our anxieties, all of our troubles, all of our chaos in light of the bigger picture of God's plans and purposes. So I don't know where God has spoken to you this morning. I don't think there's a person in this room, myself included, that has kind of been left out from what God is wanting to say to us. And so as we pray, once again, guys, this is not something that we can say, wow, what a great sermon if it was. It has to translate into us trusting God at His Word and doing something about it. Truly putting it into practice. And I think for some of us, what that means is, the starting point is, Lord, one of the things you've said to me is, some of these anxieties have become idols in my life. Some of the things I worry about and are causing me great distress, I've put in the place of you. And so it starts off with simply acknowledging that and repenting, meaning I'm going to turn from that. 
I'm going to lay those idols down. But not only do we turn from, we turn towards, and Lord, I'm going to turn to you. I want you to be truly Lord in my life. And maybe for some of us, that means, Lord, if I'm honest, some of what I'm going through has made me, maybe not at a head level, but a heart level, start to believe that maybe you're not in control. But I choose to trust you. I choose to trust this greater tomorrow. I choose to trust this King who has defeated sin, death, and suffering on the cross. And one day there will be no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow. And all of the pains that I'm experiencing right now, one of the biblical metaphors is, it's going to be like child pains, child labor pains, which fades away when the new life appears. And so, Lord, maybe I'm experiencing that, but life is coming, and I want to hold on to that. And so as we do that, let us pray. Father, thank you that your vision for us, not from us, is for us to live lives that are freed from so many anxieties that cause us needless distress. It doesn't mean we don't have things that are challenging us right now. But I pray, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom to know what we can respond to, what is in our control, how I can make sober-minded decisions in the midst of some challenging times. Lord, just thinking back to some previous messages that I may learn how to take these burdens and cast them onto you because you care for us that I may learn to pray out my burdens to you. Thinking of last week's message, Lord, that I may be reminded in the midst of my trials to be grateful, to count my blessings, to recognize you as the giver of all the good things in my life. Thinking about the song we sang this morning, to turn my eyes to Jesus in the things of this world. The anxieties of this world, may they go strangely dim in my heart. Father, some of us are needing to lay down idols. And in this moment, just in the quietness of your own heart, name them. This is not to shame you. This is to free you. Name them and lay them down. Your father is not looking at you with his hands on his hips saying, how could you? He's inviting you to know the life and the love that truly does satisfy. And so as you unclasp your fingers around those idols, you run into his arms and you know him and his grace and his love and his power. Father, we want to declare anew this morning. Oh, amidst all of the chaos of either our personal lives or just where this world is at or some of the things that are unique to our nation. None of this means that you are no longer in control. None of this means that you are no longer in control. Jesus, you are the king and I want to live as if you are king. So God, I trust you. I trust you. And Holy Spirit, as we just respond to truth, 
And as we turn to you, I pray that whether it's even right now, and I do pray that even in this moment, we will feel our anxiety just start to dissipate. Folks, I want to remind you, this is not just a one-time thing. This is a, a pattern of what it means to follow Jesus, that on a daily basis, I do this. Last week, we heard about it. It takes 10 weeks of being grateful before we start seeing some of how our anxieties get weakened in our hearts. So we're going to wake up tomorrow and respond again in faith. And we're going to re- wake up on Tuesday and respond again in faith. And you know what God is calling you to. And so I want to invite you to continue to pray that out and live that out and take steps towards your heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, encourage us. Give us the courage to do these hard things. But may we also start to taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, this prayer is greater than anything I could say or do for anyone here in this room. And so God, I trust you with us. And the work that you are doing right now in the hearts of every single person here. God, the work that you have started, would you bring to completion? Would you continue, Holy Spirit? May we live as if Jesus is Lord. And may that be a joy. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.